from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. The greatest gift that we can give to our children and grandchildren is a legacy of faith. In Judaism, we refer to this as Lidor Vador, which means from generation to generation. Passing on our faith from one generation to the next has always been a core value in the Jewish tradition, one that has helped preserve the Jewish people for thousands of years. A few years ago, when my father, Rabbi Echiel Eckstein, suddenly passed away, I realized how blessed I was that my father left us a rich legacy of faith. I was inspired to write a book about the teachings and values that I received from my parents and how I am now passing those same teachings on to my very own children. That book is called Generation to Generation, and it's a compilation of the lessons that I learned through the Jewish traditions that I grew up with, and a practical guide for how we can all pass on our faith to the next generation. And now, I'm thrilled to make the contents of my book available to everyone through this podcast. Over the summer, every episode of Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast will feature the audio version of Generation to Generation. Each week, you'll hear me read a chapter in the book, and in each chapter, we'll explore a Jewish observance, the key value it reinforces, and how to transmit that value to the next generation. I think we can all agree that our children are our future. We are shaping the future of the world through the lessons that we teach our children today. I pray that this series will help you share your faith with all of the children in your life and that it enriches your own walk with God too. Growing up, I loved taking photographs with my father's camera. To this day, I cherish the pictures I took on our family vacations. When disposable cameras came out and my parents bought me one to take on a school trip, I enthusiastically took pictures of everything and everyone. Today, as we all know, cameras are much more available as nearly every mobile phone has one. I still marvel at the ability to capture special moments with the touch of a button. Yet while I am thankful for the modern miracle of photography, I have noticed a trend, especially among children, that concerns me. Our children are growing up in what has been dubbed the selfie generation. Most photos that kids take these days are of themselves. The accessibility of digital cameras, the ease of taking self-portraits, and the rise of social media have all led to the popularity of selfies, the new term for modern-day digital self-portraits. 
From selfies taken from space to comedian Ellen DeGeneres taking a group selfie at an Oscar ceremony, photographic gratification is rampant on the internet and on social media. Personally, I take plenty of selfies with the intention of sharing my life in the Holy Land with people of faith around the world. However, as many sociologists have noticed, the word selfie has taken on a meaning that goes far beyond the object of the camera lens. It's not just in photos that children are often the focus. It can extend into their lives. The selfie culture turns people's focus onto themselves, how they look, how many likes they get on social media, what kind of clothing they wear, how much fun they have, and so on. What started out as a harmless, fun activity has now been linked to growing rates of depression and certainly an increase of narcissism. The great irony, of course, is that focusing on ourselves does not make us happier. Rather, it robs us of our joy. In contrast, the Bible teaches us about another, more genuine source of joy. Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk the earth, wrote, He who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. That's from Proverbs 14.21. It is giving to others that truly brings us joy. The challenge for parents today is teaching our children to take the focus off of themselves and turn the camera around so that they can see others. We need to teach our children to see the people around them. First and foremost, this includes their friends, their siblings, their parents, and their teachers. But it extends beyond that to the people they encounter in life. The bus driver, the janitor, the widow the orphan, the homeless person on the street corner. Only when our children begin to see others' intrinsic value and suffering can they begin to understand how they can help others. Hillel the Elder, a Torah scholar in the first century BCE, said, If I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I am only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Essentially, he taught that while we certainly have a responsibility to take care of our own needs, we also have an equally important obligation to help others now, not at some later date when it's more convenient or when we have more resources. As parents, we absolutely should teach our children to take care of themselves so that they can become independent people. But it is also our job as people of faith to teach them to be givers and to lovingly share what they have with those in need. From a young age, my parents were very clear about the importance of giving to the needy. As soon as we had any source of our own money, they taught my sisters and me the biblical importance of the tithe, giving 10% of our money to charity as outlined in Leviticus 27.30 and Numbers 18.26. So when we earned babysitting money, we automatically set aside a tenth of what we made for charitable giving. However, my parents were not interested in merely teaching us to give our money to charity. Their ultimate goal was for us to become generous people, people who looked past our own desires and concerns and saw the needs and challenges of others. There was no better way to teach us this lesson than through their living example. I remember one particular night as I lay in bed, there was a knock on our front door. My father was sitting on the edge of my bed, singing me to sleep while my mother was busy putting my sisters to bed. My father got up from our nighttime routine to answer the door, finding a complete stranger who he immediately realized was there to ask for charity. 
This was actually very common in Jewish communities where the needy felt like they could go to ask for help from fellow Jews. Most people handed the beggars some money, wished them a good night, and got on with their busy schedules. But not my parents. My parents would always invite the needy man or woman inside our home, sit them at our dining room table, and serve them a cup of coffee and a piece of cake. One or both my parents would sit with our guests and listen intently to their story, hearing their problems, sometimes discussing an idea from the Bible. Only afterward did they give what we could afford to the person and send them on their way. My father always said it's harder to ask for help than it is to give help. If a person asks, we must give, and we have to make them feel as comfortable as possible in an extremely uncomfortable situation. This night was no different, and the man was welcomed into our home as an honored guest. My parents put bedtime on hold so that they could tend to our guest, and only after he left did they resume where they had left off. The fact that my parents interrupted our nightly routine for the sake of an unexpected stranger in need left an indelible impression on me. It taught me that helping a person in need, even a complete stranger, is of utmost importance and requires our immediate attention, not later, not the next day, now. My father behaved similarly when we came across needy people on the street. He smiled, said hello, and struck up a conversation with complete strangers who most people would overlook and bypass. I watched homeless people transform in seconds as they went from looking dejected to energized with life and light as my father spoke with them. I learned from my parents that giving comes in many forms and that a generous person gives in all ways. Yes, my parents gave their money, but they also gave generously of their time, their effort, their attention, their compassion, and their love. Most importantly, they gave joyfully with a full heart. Giving charity is a defining characteristic of Jewish life. In Hebrew, the word for charity is tzedakah. It has a very different meaning than the ideas we typically associate with the word charity, described in the dictionary as the voluntary giving of help, typically in the form of money to those in need. Most people of faith associate charity with words like mercy, kindness, and compassion. However, the word tzedakah in Hebrew comes from two root words, tzedek, which means justice, and ka, a reference to God's name. Together, tzedakah means the justice of God and is most accurately translated as righteous giving. In that sense, giving charity is primarily an act of righteousness, a sacred obligation, and a necessary act in our service to God. God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine in Haggai 2.8. Everything that we possess, from the wealth that we attain to the talents and circumstances that allow us to acquire it, are gifts from God. God has given us all that we have so that we might use our resources appropriately, so that when we give to the needy, in essence, we return to God what is truly his in the first place. Tzedakah is practiced in the Jewish faith all year long and ideally every day. Jewish homes, schools, and synagogues have at least one special receptacle called a tzedakah box where people can give charity. Many women and girls give tzedakah just before lighting the Sabbath candles on Friday before sunset. 
Charity is a notable feature on our holidays as well, such as during the High Holy Days, when giving to the needy is said to sweeten God's judgment, or on Passover, when the Seder meal begins with an invitation to all who are hungry. On Purim, we are explicitly directed to give gifts to the poor, as it says in Esther 9.22. In addition, people often give tzedakah as a way to commemorate a loved one who has passed or to honor the living. As mentioned previously, Jews are obligated to give away 10% of their earnings, a practice known as tithing, as we learn in Leviticus 27.30, which is observed by many Christians as well. Giving tzedakah is regarded so highly that it is considered one of the few acts that is equal to fulfilling the entire Torah. In other words, giving charity is an essential part of the purpose of life. As the Apostle Paul, raised and educated as a Jew, wrote to the church at Corinth, and now abedeth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity as it says in 1 Corinthians 13.13. 13. The Jewish concept of tzedakah beckons us to understand that charity is an act that profoundly affects both the giver and the receiver. The receiver experiences the blessing of the gift and the subsequent change to his or her physical status, while the giver receives spiritual blessings. It says in the Talmud, the written compilation of the Jewish oral tradition, more than the wealthy person does for the poor, the poor does for the wealthy person. As Solomon wrote in Proverbs 22.9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And Jesus taught in the Christian Bible in Matthew 10.42, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Clearly, there is a reward for those who bless the less fortunate. The Bible says there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. This is from Deuteronomy 15.11. The Jewish understanding of this verse is that there will always be people in need of our charity, not because God desires the suffering of poor people, but because he wants us to become generous human beings. God's heart for the poor, the widowed, and the orphan becomes abundantly clear in the many laws he gave to the people of Israel as they established their new godly nation. In Leviticus 25.35, he commanded the people, If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so that they can continue to live among you. He told them to be open-handed to those in need, for the righteous are always generous and lend freely, it says in Psalm 37.26. If that is God's heart, it should certainly be ours too. There is an axiom in Judaism that says the heart follows the actions. This means that what we do affects how we feel. This is why giving is an obligation, not an option. God commanded us to give to the poor no matter how we may feel, because the more we give, the more we feel like giving, and not the other way around. Interestingly, the Hebrew word for love, ahava, is rooted in the word hav, which means giving. Giving. 
This teaches us that love is a byproduct of giving, the biblical directive to love your neighbor like yourself, just as it says in Leviticus 19.18, is best fulfilled through giving. Echoing this directive in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught, Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It says this in Matthew 5.42. Rabbi Israel Salanter, the 19th century scholar, taught, Someone else's material needs are my spiritual responsibility. We develop our souls by helping others fill their physical needs. Judaism maintains that it is better to give a small amount of charity regularly than to give one large gift and refrain from giving year-round. Just as we need to exercise a muscle regularly in order to make it stronger, we need to give consistently in order to fully develop the trait of generosity. By placing tzedakah boxes in our homes and places of gathering, we give ourselves the opportunity to give charity every day. The box serves as a daily reminder that there are people in need of our assistance and provides a way for us to do our part to help every day. The goal for us is to give consistently and generously, but giving our hard-earned money can be difficult. Even with generous hearts, our heads might worry that we will not have enough for ourselves if we give our resources away. However, God promised that those who give to the poor will lack nothing in Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-seven, In addition, God declared that when we give tzedakah, not only will he pay us back, he will increase it. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, God said. He promised, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heavens and pour out so much blessings that there will not be room enough to store it as it says in Malachi 3.10. In the Christian Bible, Paul taught, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will be abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This is from 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and 11. Ultimately, generosity comes naturally when we learn to see the poor as our brethren. In Judaism, we note that every time scripture commands us to give to the poor, the word brother appears as well. This teaches that we must see the needy as our own family members. Just as we would never turn our backs on our loved ones, we must never close our hearts to those who are also the children of God, our brothers and sisters in the family of God. When we see the needy as beloved family, how could we not give willingly, generously, and with love? In my home, I try to pass on to my children the same sense of generosity that I learned from my own parents by caring for those in need with genuine concern, respect, and love. My intention is to teach my children to give in the fullest sense of their money, their time, their attention, and their empathy. To that end, my husband and I bring our children with us once or twice a month to help distribute aid to needy Jews around Israel. In addition, we have multiple tzedakah boxes placed around our home in order to encourage giving regularly and spontaneously. We also place money in our tzedakah box before lighting Shabbat candles on Friday evening. On Shabbat, we invite anyone without a place to eat to come share a meal in our home with our family. We involve our children as much as we can in charitable giving and effort so that they can experience firsthand the joy and fulfillment that giving brings to both the giver 
and the receiver. Over the years, we have met and befriended needy people in nearby cities who then become parts of our lives. One such man, David, started out as a stranger we met on the streets of Jerusalem, but as we got to know him, he became a beloved friend. Once we took the time to hear his story, it became clear that David was a holy man who had fallen on hard times. He had spent years studying the Bible with some of Jerusalem's most respected rabbis, so every encounter with him became a Bible lesson for us. When his daughter got married, we helped with the wedding. When she had her first child, we brought diapers. And when David died, we went to his funeral. We held him up in our home as an example of faith and devotion, kindness and wisdom. Yes, we gave David money, but more importantly, we gave him respect and dignity. Both are life-giving. I knew my children had absorbed at least part of this lesson when we were driving to school late one day, and my three-year-old insisted that we stop in order to thank the street sweeper. Thankfully, I realized the educational value in the moment, so I pulled over and rolled down the car windows. My son thanked the man for keeping our streets clean, which put a huge smile on both of their faces. We were continuing on to school when my son insisted that we stop and return to the man. We didn't ask his name, my son said. How can we really thank him if we don't even know his name? Again, I realized the importance of this encounter, so I backed up, pulled over to the street sweeper again. We asked his name and learned that he was an Ethiopian Jew who had made Aliyah, immigrated to Israel less than a decade earlier. We brought him some coffee and listened to his story. As we finally got back on our way to school, I remembered how my father used to serve coffee to the beggars who came to our door when I was a little girl. I thought about how he had watched his own father, for whom my son is named, welcome countless guests into his home as the rabbi of his community. In that one brief encounter, spurred on by the insistence of my three-year-old son, I could see the chain of generations stretching all the way back to Abraham, who taught the world about kindness, continuing far beyond my own family. I knew then that there is no greater accomplishment than being a strong link in that chain, drawing on the immense strength and wisdom of those who came before us and passing it on to the next generation and all generations to come. Midor Lador, from generation to generation. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.